Welcome everyone to the Third Wheel Herbert Smith Freehills podcast series exploring all things ESG. Uh, I'm Jackie Wooten, your host today. Uh, I'm a partner and co-head of our Australian corporate crime and investigations practice uh, and, and work very closely with clients on resolving not only disputes but supporting reg investigations and managing legal and compliance risks more generally. And increasingly, that means, um, as is no doubt no surprise to any of our listeners, uh, increasingly in a range of ESG-related areas, including bribery, corruption, um, and business and human rights issues like bottom slavery. Uh, today, our, our episode is a bit of a takeover special. Uh, we are replacing your usual hosts, Tim Stutt and Mel Debenham. And our focus today is going to be on discussing insights from HSF's latest global bank review. Uh, and for that, I am joined today by Hannah Cassidy and Anthony Crockett, but I will leave both of them to now introduce themselves to you all. Hannah. Great, thanks, Jackie. Uh, it's great to be joining you. Hi, everyone, I'm Hannah Cassidy. I'm a partner and also co-chair of our global banks sector and I head up our financial services regulatory practice in Asia, and I'm delighted to be joining you from Hong Kong. Hi, everyone. I'm Anthony Crockett, a partner in our disputes practice specialising in public international law. I lead our global business and human rights practice, and I'm a member of the firm's ESG leadership. So we are all very pleased to be joining for this session. Uh, and. Before we really get into the depths of our discussion today, Hannah, perhaps given your role uh, in the banking sector, we might just start with an overview of the Global Bank Review. I know it's a publication we've run for a couple of years now, uh, and the theme this year is, a, I think, a really, really interesting one from an ESG perspective, uh, the theme being Trust Matters. So, Hannah, do you want to just, I guess, give us a bit of a sense of uh, the review and why the focus has been on trust this year? Absolutely. So this is our seventh edition of the Global Bank Review. And in engaging the mood in the bank sector as we near the end of 2023, apprehensive probably seems as good a description as any. If you think about what's happening, um, you know, in the capital markets, it's relatively subdued. We've had and continue to have a prolonged period of, of fractious geopolitics. Um, we are in a world where banks need to serve more polarised societies. And there's a challenge of being in control rather than at the mercy of technology. So it's certainly a time when trust, that most precious of commodities, is hard to earn and retain, whether that's because of your conflicting consumer pressures, because of uh, increasing demands from, from the regulators, or challenges of managing reputations that are um, you know, exposed to the sort of the whims and, and, and lightning fast uh, reach of, of social media. There's all, an awful lot uh, in, in that we're obviously covering in the review this year, uh, but perhaps for our ESG listeners on this podcast, what are some of the ways, Hannah, in which the review is looking at trust um, in the context of ESG obligations in particular? Sure. So the report explores how trust has been uh, stress tested on many fronts, including ESG, um, whether that's through combating the escalating threat of um, online fraud, carving out credible positions on social and climate issues, 
creating new carbon offset markets that are operating with integrity and transparency, or demonstrating resilience in the face of operational market shocks. And of course, how business navigates increasing expectations for it to play a wider, um, more progressive role. So uh, let's dive into that topic for a moment. I think it's a, a really poignant one. Certainly, I think it's no surprise to anyone when we say uh, and note that the days of just focusing on the bottom line uh, clearly are a distant memory uh, for business. And the reality is really much more complex. And it's certainly something I know we we explore in this year's Global Bank Review, particularly for banks and in the finance sector. We often find clients uh, in these sectors can be caught in the crosshairs of competing demands. Companies, including banks, are really expected now to be leading on social causes. That's a, a far cry from the traditional role of, of business. And those types of competing demands, we find they're not always that easy to reconcile. I think some of the things we see are, are certainly waves of new regulation and almost a sense that business needs to have and play much more than a narrow economic role. You know, that, so there's on one hand that wave of new regulation and, and rising expectations. Uh, and on the other hand, I think there's still some scepticism and questions that get asked about whether there should be more limits on the role that businesses and banks can be playing as social actors, and there's a real tension there. So with you know, those really divergent calls, perhaps, Anthony, if we can bring you in here, did you want to just comment, I guess, on what you're seeing around rising patterns of regulation uh, and what you're seeing across uh, different jurisdictions on that front? Sure, thanks, Jackie. The, the, the biggest... I suppose theme of the last few years in terms of ESG and sustainability regulation has been the imposition and expansion of reporting requirements and disclosure and transparency regimes. Um, so we see reporting requirements on issues like modern slavery, which was mentioned, on diversity, on environmental impacts, on carbon emissions. Um, and. I guess an important aspect of those and that and that change of regulation, because particularly banks and um, and and large multinationals have been reporting on sustainability and and some of those issues for a very long time. But one of the trends in the regulation has been from a focus on um, uh, voluntary activities and 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 reporting on good stories, often um, initiatives that. That companies are pursuing to, you know, promote diversity, for example, um, but a focus increasingly on a need to make disclosures um, about your risks and about your potential adverse impacts, whether that's on the environment, whether that's on people or communities, um, and and that that is that is really the new challenge, not not just for or the financial sector, but for all companies to get to grips with this new um sort of era of of transparency and reporting where you're required to to um disclose both the good and the bad um and the steps that you're taking to manage your um sustainability and ESG related risks and impacts across the business and of course it's you know yes there's very much that emphasis we see on increased disclosure, reporting, transparency obligations. But 
at least in some areas, I think we're seeing regulation push that even further with policymakers in some areas really looking to have much more of a focus on what we might call conduct obligations. Anthony, did you want to comment a bit more on what we're seeing in that field? Yeah, so that's right. And to take, for example, modern slavery reporting and have the legislation in Australia and, and the UK, for example, and requires um, companies to report on um, modern slavery risks in their operations in their supply chains. And you see, if you read the reporting guidance around those regimes that um, companies are expected to disclose quite a lot of detail about the processes, the policies that, that, that they have in place to address that specific topic or risk. Um, and there will, it, you will see reference, for example, to does the, does the company carry out due diligence in its supply chain or in relation to modern slavery, for example. There's no requirement to carry out that due diligence or to, 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 to do anything in particular in terms of how you assess the risk. It's just the obligation to disclose what you have done and what you know your risks to be based on what you have done. Um, and we see this now, the European regulation where um, reporting requirements are being introduced much more expansively across the whole range of sustainability topics and have a similar approach which requires companies to report on the policies and processes they have in place to assess sustainability risks and impacts, um, the actual risks and impacts they've identified. But it's made clear in those regulations that there is not an obligation to actually follow any particular process or carry out any due diligence. And that has been identified potentially as a, as, as a gap in this in, in the regulatory approach. And so increasingly you see governments um, considering the introduction of mandatory due diligence requirements. So that's been proposed, for example, as a reform to Australia's Modern Slavery Act. Similarly, the European Commission is proposing a mandatory sustainability due diligence obligation, which would be imposed on large companies across the EU, and that, and that would require the due diligence, not just um, the reporting. It's such an interesting trend, I guess, for us to be observing and, and watching play out because it, it really just provides another example of that increasing pressure on business and you know, we've, we've been focusing, um, you know, obviously in this year's review on, on the banking sector, but that that real increasing pressure on business to be saying more and doing more in a very public way. Uh, and, you know, I think we've particularly seen um, some real challenges for, for business and banks where they do go though, that step next of publicly disclosing a position. Sometimes it might be in response to those that, that, that step up in disclosure expectations, but other times it can be just in response to um, stakeholder expectations about business taking a stake and taking a position um, in social conversations, uh, particularly where there are matters where, where business feels like there are issues of reputation at stake. Uh, and, and again, it's a, it's a pretty contested area. Um, we've seen uh, already, you know, where um, those public statements often get stress tested. We've seen a, a wave of greenwashing, social washing, washing complaints um, that are really um, coming to bear in, in crystallising that risk where 
where public statements are being stress tested. Hannah, did you want to comment a little bit on, I guess, the, the some of those risks and challenges in trying to reconcile the competing tension between, you know, being asked to, to do and say more and, and the risk that that can throw up for business? Sure. So um, <clears throat> the sort of a, the continued development of a sustainable finance market is obviously going to be crucial to the drive to get to net zero, given the sort of the vast sums of money required to drive decarbonisation at the global level. So I think it'd be quite interesting if we maybe look at, at, at what's happening in those, those particular markets. We're seeing an evolution um, of the sort of what we call sustainability linked bond and sustainability linked loan markets, so SLBs and SLLs. And I think this is an area of focus where banks and businesses need to be um, mindful of potential greenwashing um, sort of allegations and, and, and pitfalls. Um, I think probably some of the sort of the important risk mitigants that, that banks can focus on are around sort of ensuring careful structuring of those products, um, robust due diligence on, on, on the borrowers and, and, and the stakeholders, obviously disclosure and reporting, and we've discussed that already. And then thinking about um, including sort of appropriate contractual protections for, for lenders and investors. And hopefully the sort of the ongoing evolution of um, these particular markets and, and frameworks um, will remain one um, you know, with integrity and a market that, that investors and other market participants can, can increasingly trust. But there's a lot for those um, players to do to, to sort of continue that. Um, another area where, where the market is evolving is obviously in relation to um, carbon markets. Um, there is increasing ESG scrutiny on, on those particular markets. And pleasingly, that there are recent developments aimed at strengthening confidence in the sort of the governance, um, standardisation and transparency of, of carbon markets globally. And um, that is a whole other podcast um, topic. So maybe we can come back uh, in the new year to talk about that one. That, that sounds, Hannah, um, like you're putting your hand up to do another session for our listeners. I'm sure that will be really well received uh, in the new year. So perhaps just going back and picking up some of those comments around you know, trust and, and and I guess looking you know as business and banks looks to look to navigate through in a way which maintains trust in um, not only what they're saying but also what they're doing. One other interesting I guess area that we observe is is the challenges. And this this often often arises for banks foremost when really reputational decisions are really a driver of um, a reputational considerations are a driver for the decisions that they might need to make, or where issues of ethics are are really coming into play, not just matters of um, strictly legal positions. And we find that that's an area again where there can be some complex challenges and trade-offs to negotiate particularly as it really butts up against what is the appropriate role for, for banks in society. Uh, Hannah, I know that's something we explored in, in one of the articles in the review. Do you want to comment a, a bit on, on that issue and that topic? Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, look, we, we definitely see this. And, um, you know, I think anti-money laundering is a 
is an area where we see the sort of convergence of regulatory expectations, but also social expectations, and that, and that can present um, challenges. So, you know, many social issues are not merely political matters. So, you know, whether fund flows are, um, you know, coming from or going to uh, areas that, that um, you know, uh, society would deem are appropriate or not. But obviously there are also legal and sort of compliance matters. So, you know, there are obviously rules around um, uh, you know, transactions in respect of, um, you know, breaches of human rights or where um, those transactions are facilitating sort of bribery or, or corruption. Now, the banks, um, you know, the, the sort of the AML regimes are, are very mature, um, they're very comprehensive, and um, it is obviously a very difficult area for, for banks to navigate. In, in navigating um, some of those requirements and expectations, the banks have faced criticism for slashing their risk exposure, um, whether that's because um, they've got concerns from a sort of risk appetite perspective or because of the increased um, compliance costs of um, you know, performing enhanced due diligence or the monitoring that's required to manage the risk that's associated with certain customers. Um, international standards requiring um, due diligence on particular types of customers, so in particular politically exposed persons or PEPs, that can also conflict with the personal interests of domestic policymakers uh, who may be classed as PEPs themselves. Um, obligations relating to transparency and fairness to customers may also conflict with um, you know, financial crime obligations, particularly around tipping off. Um, so where a decision has been made to exit a particular client or, or, or group of clients, you know, banks have to navigate that, that carefully to make sure that they're not falling foul of um, you know, tipping off um, prohibitions. Um, we're seeing um, obviously increased technology to help with things like screening, um, again, increased um, sort of private-private or public-private information sharing initiatives. And all of this is obviously, um, you know, on the one hand, assisting banks to navigate the sort of the AML requirements, but it is also, I think, continuing to make even more complex how they balance um, the sort of the different competing factors, you know, in terms of their strict legal compliance, the, the pressures from, from politicians or from society, you know, they're getting much more visibility around, um, you know, customers and, and fund flows. So it, it's all of that, I think, is creating a much more complex environment for, for banks to, to navigate in. And gosh, uh... Anthony, I hope you're going to have some uh, good news for us in all of this. It's a complex, I mean, it's a real minefield uh, of considerations to juggle. Um, obviously, those those legal frameworks are, are, are one part of it, but um, increasingly balancing much broader ethical and reputational matters, it, it, it is a real challenge. So, Anthony, do, do you think there's a way through here? Is there is there um, a place for laws for regulation to be doing more to help set up um, really strong and robust 
frameworks for, for the business community to be making a range of these decisions? I, I do th I do think there's there's a there's a silver lining here for for, for for banks in particular. If you think of the requirements that we increasingly see being um, introduced in terms of ESG and sustainability disclosures and reporting, those are quite challenging um, and onerous requirements in a lot of places. I, and I would identify particularly Europe, where the sort of detail of what is required is really um, now very prescriptive and 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 creates a, a significant challenge. Um, it's potentially an even bigger challenge for banks because if you the, the the expectation increasingly is that you have done due diligence and you've assessed and you make disclosures about your sustainability risks and impacts throughout your value chain. And that could include your supply chain, but it also includes your customers are part of the value chain. You think then for a bank, if it has a, um, if it's you know operating internationally, it will be operating across a diverse range of geographies, across a diverse range of sectors, where you then have a whole um, myriad of sustainability risks that you may be connected with. Um, where your customers are themselves subject to reporting due diligence and disclosure obligations, that can be helpful because then some of the information you need to assess your own risks and to make your own disclosures is something that your customers are collecting and are providing and are reporting in their own disclosures. And so I think in, in that sense, the sort of enhanced transparency and the reporting requirements, et cetera, can be complementary to existing processes that, that banks will have in place in terms of assessing um, risks, particularly in terms of, of their customers. Um, and I get to get to give one example of that, um, we, we see mandatory climate disclosures being introduced um, you know, all, all over the world. Um, potentially very helpful for banks because equally they will have obligations to be reporting on their climate risk exposures that may be because of stock exchange requirements may be because of prudential regulation requirements but of course their ability to report on their climate risk exposures depends on getting accurate information from customers about emissions and about climate related risks and so in that sense this this new regulation and, and and new requirements about disclosure and transparency, I think, are um, potentially very helpful for the sector. Well, perhaps without silver lining, that might be a nice place for us to at least pause this conversation for today. Uh, I, I hope, I'm sure we've given our listeners lots to, to be thinking about. Uh, and a bit of a plug if that's piqued your interest and you would like to read more from our Global Bank Review and you do not already have a copy, uh, please reach out to your usual contact at HSF uh, and we can make sure we're linking you up with one. Uh, a very big thank you, Anthony and Hannah, for joining me today to discuss the review. Uh, hopefully, uh, some really thought-provoking discussions uh, about you know, the role of banks uh, and how banks make decisions based on reputational risk and ethics, as well as their broader role in society uh, and in relation to ESG obligations more generally. 
Uh, before we close, as is our tradition on the Third World podcast, I wanted to leave you with a fun fact from the world of ESG. And so it seems like we're no longer just concerned with sustainability initiatives in the bank sector or indeed on Earth. The European Space Agency, MIT Media Lab and others have, we understand, co-created the world's first sustainability rating for space missions. So the intention is to reduce space debris. For example, with all those satellites out there, the initiative works to reduce the risk of collisions and debris uh, being generated in the first place, as well as help to ensure that missions launched into the Earth's orbit are sustainable. So apparently the Earth's orbit is covered with over one million objects that are larger than one centimetre. 4,000 of those are satellites, 60,000 more satellites are planned for the next decade. So watch this space, uh, pardon the pun. As always, thank you for listening to The Third Wheel and we look forward to you joining us next time. In the spirit of reconciliation, Herbert Smith Freehills acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Herbert Smith Freehills. For more episodes, please go to our channel on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud and visit our website, herbertsmithfreehills.com for more insights relevant to your business.